0: We're in Mark chapter 2, if you'll grab your Bibles or smart devices and and get there. Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22 is the text that we will be looking at today. We're continuing in the series, Learning How Jesus Lived. Uh, There's uh, a lot of folks that uh, have emphasized that we should do what Jesus would do in any given situation. But I'm convinced we can never do what Jesus did did if we don't live like Jesus lived. And so we've been looking in the Gospel of Mark at some controversies that Jesus had uh, with those uh, who did not appreciate him or his mission. And by doing so, we're learning some key things about Jesus. The theory is if we discover what makes his enemies mad at him, then we will know what it is that made him different uh, from the way, the way he lived different than the way everyone else lived. And the first four weeks of this series, we're looking at five different controversies. We've looked at one uh, two weeks ago, one last week, one today. And then next Sunday, we'll look at two controversies uh, uh, surrounding the Sabbath day. So we'll put those together. Today's uh, uh, surrounds uh, the practice of fasting and uh, the Pharisees and John the Baptist disciples um, had some questions about why you're not uh, practicing fasting in the same way that we are altogether what we're starting to unfold in these first five controversies is a um, well they're upset about a growing awareness of Jesus's authority And Mark signals that very early on in the first chapter when he said that Jesus did not teach as the scribes because he taught as one having authority. And so these first five controversies are all surrounding establishing Jesus's authority. Uh, The uh, scribes who were Pharisees not only saw the scripture as authoritative but also oral tradition. And so they had built a hedge around the law and had rules for how to live that were not necessarily biblical. In other words, they were not necessarily taught in the scripture. And now in our text today and in our text next Sunday, the two controversies we'll look at, we'll see how their application of their religious rules went straight against the stream of the spirit of what the scripture was teaching. In fact, standing back from it, We look at it and say, you believe what? You taught what? And it's very easy for us to become very hypercritical. I really want to ask us not to do that. Because the truth is, there are times that I fall into the same patterns that they did. Any other recovering Pharisees in the house? The point is not to look at them and say, hey, they got it wrong. The point is to look at what they got wrong and realize what right is. And to let their darkness be the background for the light of the world, Jesus Christ. So with that said, we're right in the middle of a cluster of five controversies. We're at the third one. Now we start seeing in the way they apply the law how they missed the the whole intent of it and in fact today we reach a turning point where jesus gives us a couple of parables that really helps us to understand something about his mission with that let's stand as we read the word of god Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. People came and asked him, Why did John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. But the time will come. When the groom will be taken away from them, then they'll fast on that day, just as surely as Good Friday is coming for us, it came for Jesus. On that day they'll fast, and now these two parables he gives. No one sews a patch of unshrucken cloth from an old garment. Otherwise, the new patch pulls away from the old cloth, and the worst tear is made. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, as well as the skins. No new wine is put into fresh wineskins. Thank you, you may be seated. Now in last week's text, the scribes who were Pharisees asked Jesus' disciples about his eating habits. Specifically, they were upset that he was eating, reclining at the table, spending time with people, well, that they considered sinful. People whose nickname or, uh, yeah, their nickname was just sinful. refer to them. Uh, This week, we have some people, some unnamed uh, people in Mark's gospel, who are asking Jesus about his disciples' eating habits. I I find it interesting that everybody's caring a great deal about what other people are eating and who they're eating with. And next week, by the way, one of the controversies around the Sabbath was that they plucked grain on the Sabbath. Again, concerned about their eating habits. Last week, we learned that Jesus' mission influenced his choice of eating companions. He had a doctor-patient relationship with them. He was not spending time with them so that they would share life and rub off on one another. He was sharing time with them because, like a doctor spends time with a patient, so the Messiah needs to spend time with people that are sinful. They needed him. And by doing so, he was not in any way putting a stamp of approval on the way that they lived. Instead, he was trying to influence the way that they lived. And we ended last week by our reasonable response to learning that Jesus is on a rescue mission, that we should join him in that rescue mission and that we need to be careful not to avoid people because of who they are. Instead we need to meet them at their point of need. Now what we did not do last week I want to do for just a moment now and that is I want to pause and not only be thankful. That were called to join him in his rescue mission. Have you, have you let that process at all? Someone like me. When I was in high school, I was a future farmer of America. I grew up in West Texas and. Uh, There was qualifications you had to meet to be a chapter farmer, which was this stage. And I'd met all the qualifications, except they wouldn't give me the badge because my director said, Jimmy, you're too shy to get up and talk in front of people. (laughs) And that's one of the requirements. Isn't it amazing how God uses a shy? Well, that's my story. You have one too, don't you? Isn't it amazing that God chooses to use you? Am I the only one in the house or does anybody else feel inadequate? Anybody else? He has asked us friends, to join him in his rescue mission. That blows my mind. But there's something bigger that I want you to focus on for just a moment. We'll get to the sermon. But just for a moment, you are the object of his rescue mission. He came running after you. Came running after me. This journey we're walking on, this path we're walking on that's leading to the cross, where he will spill his blood and experience the full wrath of God. Yes, he did that because it was his destiny. Yes, he did that because it was his mission. And yes, he did that for you. If I were to be asked to choose and rank which is the greatest honor, joining him in his mission or being a recipient of his mission, I'd have to say the latter, not the former. He loves you. He loves me. And all of this that we're studying on our path to Good Friday and Easter Sunday is a journey of love Oh, the feathers are flying and controversies are taking place. I get all of that. We've selected those texts. I know that's what's happening. But the reason behind it is you. And the person sitting next to you. And the person sitting next to him or her. And the person that we invited to come and sit next to us, who said no. And the person who the Lord prompted us to invite, and we said no. Fair enough? It's for all of us. It's for everyone that the Spirit draws. His blood was shed for their salvation. We are his mission, and now we're on mission with him. Well, we learned that our reasonable response is is to join him in that mission, and not to look down our nose at anyone, They used to say, but for the grace of God, that would be me, there goes I. But the truth is, that was me. That is me without the grace of God. Our virtue is never in how often we keep the rules. It is always, always, Because of the grace of God that's in our life. If you look around and see anything admirable in any person in this room, the answer is because of the grace of God in their life. Not, not because of their effort. And at best, what we have done is cooperated with His grace. At best, what we've done is to lean into His grace to receive it, and then do our best to live it out. Now, in a little bit further down in the message, we're gonna we're gonna look at this uh, text and this the questions that the uh, the unknown people are asking, and we're gonna we're gonna see how Jesus explains to them that fasting is fine, but now's not the time for that fasting. And we're going to see how his answer, specifically the two parables he gives, helps us to better understand his mission. In fact, these two parables, without them, we will not understand the gospel of Mark going forward. They are key to our understanding Jesus' journey to the cross and what he is doing. And what he is doing that is upsetting them so much. At the close of next week's message, things are going to shift. They're no longer going to be growing and being upset about his authority. But they're going to start plotting his death. Huge shift is taking place as I hand the baton over to Pastor Charlie for the next week's message. For now, though, I want to spend just a little bit of time with a biblical background on fasting. And I'm doing that because I I don't think, well, I, I think the scribes who were Pharisees had lost, they had lost sight of what the Bible taught about fasting because they were so wrapped up in their traditions about fasting. That's one thing. And the second thing is I'm just not assuming Uh, that everyone has studied this before and that it might be helpful if we spend just a few moments doing a quick overview about what the Bible says about fasting. Fasting is abstaining from food. Now, uh, there are some that will talk about fasting from this or fasting from that. That has more to do with the Catholic tradition of giving up something for Lent And so we've used the term rather loosely and we talk about fasting from this or that. Uh, But whenever the Bible uses the term, it is always uh, talking about fasting from nourishment, fasting from food or fasting uh, from water. Uh, It is usually cast in a favorable light in the Old Testament. Normally it was associated with times of mourning. That's important for this text to some degree or in response to some cataclysmic event for instance king david fasted because of his newborn son's illness in second samuel 12 and uh, when he mourned over the death of saul and jonathan in first uh, in in second samuel chapter one in addition to fasting during times of mourning The community of the Old Testament believers also fasted as a part of their religious practice. In other words, there was some time set aside on their calendar for fasting. Jeremiah 36 and 6 is an example of that. So you must go and read from the scroll which you wrote at my dictation, the words of the Lord in the hearing of the people, at the temple of the Lord on a day of fasting. So they had set aside a day of fasting. However, we also see that fasting was not always a positive spiritual activity. For instance, King Ahab fasted as a part of his pity party when he couldn't get his way in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse four. He was resentful, he was angry because of what Naboth wouldn't do, and so said, I will not give you my ancestor's inheritance. And so he laid down in his bed, turned his face away, and didn't eat any food. How attractive for a full-grown monarch to throw a pity party and refuse to eat his green beans. He wasn't the only one. Jonathan got angry at his father, and he fasted in 1 Samuel 2034. It says he got up from the table fiercely angry, and he did not eat any food that second day of the noon moon new moon, a festival. For he was grieved because of his father's shameful behavior towards David. So, as in the old testament, in the New Testament, uh, there are instances of Uh, where people practice fasting in a manner that was inappropriate. Uh, For instance, Jesus criticized the Pharisees, who are part of our story today in the Gospel of Matthew, because they made a show of their fasting. And they fasted in such a way, not out of devotion to God. It wasn't that they were stopping, ceasing from eating food as a religious observance, or because something so cataclysmic had happened that food just wasn't that important to them. It, it, it was for neither of those reasons. Instead, it was to make themselves look good, to make themselves look religious. And so uh, in Matthew 4, 1 through 2, it says then, uh, excuse me, I got ahead of myself in my notes. That's in Matthew six sixteen. There are also uh, times in the New Testament uh, where we see that fasting was a a favorable thing. For instance, in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 2, where Jesus fasted. Let me read that. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Also in Luke Two thirty-seven. we see that Anna, who was a faithful servant of the Lord, had regular uh, times to fast as a religious observance. It says she was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. And then, of course, Paul and his companions in Acts 27 33 had a season of fasting when they were on a storm-tossed ship. Now, in Jesus' response about fasting in our text today, and in his other teachings, he is not saying, do not fast. What he is saying is that we need to fast appropriately. And where he uh, chided the Pharisees was that they were fasting as a show. He, he's not against fasting, in other words. He's against fasting as hypocritical act and in matthew 6 16 he says when you fast don't be gloomy like the, uh, the hypocrites for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people truly i tell you they have their reward so jesus is not criticizing fasting as a spiritual discipline he was criticizing the way the hypocrites fast to draw attention Uh, to themselves and in his response in this text jesus makes it clear that there will be a time when his disciples will fast it's just this is not the time for that so jesus answered their question he also answered their unspoken question behind the question that they asked There's always a motive that's getting people to ask questions like this. Now, I don't think this was a combative exchange per se, Uh, and yet it is a controversy that led to the one that comes next with the Sabbath day. So it's a low intensity conflict. Now in Mark's gospel, the unidentified people Uh, we we don't know who's asking the question. They're not identified. However, they do make a particular reference to the practice of John's disciples and to the Pharisees. And with those questions, by lumping those two groups together, I mean, if you had the three groups, John's disciples, Jesus' disciples, and the Pharisees, who would you put together? I'd put John's disciples and Jesus' disciples together as the good guys and the Pharisees as the not so good guys. And yet, in this triangular relationship, it's the Pharisees and the disciples of John that are put on the same side. And now the question is, why do they fast, John's disciples, And the Pharisees, why do they fast and your disciples do not? And so that leads me to a question. What did they have in common? What did John's movement and the Pharisees' movement have in common? And the answer to that is they were both nonconformist. They did not conform to the way things are and they were nonconformist because they wanted to make things better. Now this is why we have to be careful to keep the black hats off of the Pharisees because they got it wrong, no doubt, they got it wrong, but what they were trying to accomplish under man's power was noble. They were trying to get the people to be more consistent in the practice of their faith now that doesn't sound that bad does it they were trying to get them to be better believers and so were the disciples of john they were both groups that were non-conformist now they viewed the people that asked the question Viewed those who followed John the Baptist and the Pharisees as reform movements who were trying to improve the religious practice of the day. And they had already figured out that Jesus and his disciples were nonconformists, but they were not conforming to the nonconformists. Did you follow that? Uh, do you remember the nonconformists back when you were in school and how they all dressed alike and acted alike? You know, they just, they were nonconformists. Who knows, maybe you were one of them. I like to think I was a bad boy, but I don't think I really was. <laughs> but the nonconformists all acted alike. And so now, these asking the questions are saying, why? You're trying, what's different? Why are you guys so different? Why aren't you more like them? Why aren't you living the way they live? Now I mentioned a moment ago that Mark does not identify who the people are that ask the question. They're just identified as people. But Matthew gives us some additional information. He indicates in Matthew 9 and 14 that the ones that asked the question were actually John's disciples. Hmm. John's disciples who felt more affinity with Jesus's disciples wanted to know why aren't you guys fasting? Now this particularly becomes interesting when we realize that Mark does not arrange the stories in his gospel in chronological order. You know, in other words, in the sixth chapter in Mark, he references John's beheading before John was beheaded and then later tells the story. So we, we, we never are reading this thinking, yeah, there's a general chronology. But he's putting these stories where he needs them uh, to help make the point he's making. And so whether it happened on Tuesday or Thursday is unimportant unless he tells you it happened on Tuesday and Thursday. And then it takes on greater importance. And so one of the first things I asked when I came across this insight was I wonder." Was this conversation before or after John was beheaded? In other words, were they asking this question because there was a legitimate reason for mourning? Well, I quickly tossed that line of of thought aside because regardless, it doesn't matter should not matter to us because it did not matter to Mark. And Mark keeps them unnamed. And if in fact the chronology was different, then that strengthens the reason for why he didn't name them. So that we don't get sidetracked and think this is about disrespecting John, the loss of John. Instead, working with what Mark has given us, we know that these two groups practiced fasting, and someone just wanted to know why aren't you fasting like they are? Well, Luke helps us a little bit because Luke tells us that John's disciples fasted often in Luke 5.33. So that we know that both the Pharisees and the disciples of John made this a regular part of how they lived. They fasted. The Pharisees, we know, fasted every Monday and Thursday. That's a pretty significant investment in fasting. This spiritual discipline was important to them. Now, for our purposes, the fact that that, uh, John's disciples, whether they were mourning or not, and maybe they asked the question, or they did ask the question according to Matthew, it doesn't really matter. Because if Mark wanted us to know that, he would have told us that. What matters is that this story is in context right in the middle of five controversies that have to do uh, over Jesus' authority. He places this story in the middle of the others as a point of confrontation as to the source of his authority. Why aren't you trying to reform things the way we are? And why aren't you behaving the way we are behaving? Well, he is behaving differently because he's on a different mission. He is not on a mission to reform the practices of the day. He is on a mission to fulfill the prophecies. He is on a redemptive mission. He is on a mission that's going to lead him to the cross. He's on a mission that will put him in a tomb for a few days. He's on a mission to raise victoriously because he's on a mission to rescue you and rescue me. His concern. Is not with the details of their religious rules the only place he gets concerned with the details of their religious rules is when they get in the way of understanding the truth of the scripture and so in this case he responds by shifting their focus away from mourning to a celebration. And he says to them uh, that there is an appropriate time for mourning, but this is not it. The bridegroom is still with them. So now's not a time for mourning. Instead, he says, That day will come and my disciples will mourn when the time has come, but I'm still with them, this is a time of celebration. Uh, By the way, just as a quick aside, there is great reason for joy, even today, as we're walking through a world that is rapidly decaying around us, because the Spirit of God is dwelling among us, and there is still reason for great joy. You know, Solomon wrote, there's a time to weep, there's a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. And Jesus is saying there is a time for mourning and fasting, but it's after the celebration and dancing. It'll be appropriate then. Well, last week, his conflict ended with a pronouncement about who needed his ministry. This week, it ends with two stories. Now, he tells these stories about things that were familiar to them, that may not be familiar to us. Now when I was young, uh, when we tore our jeans, we didn't think that was a fashion statement. And, and mom would uh, get an iron-on patch usually, and she'd iron it and maybe sew it. And uh, you know, our jeans were pre-shrunk. They had already, by the time we tore them, they were pre-shrunk. Now, I understand times have changed, and I'm not making a comment on the times. I'm just saying that there was a time when we saw holes on jeans and we said, we need to fix that. Not when we saw jeans without holes and said, we need to fix that. So Jesus tells a story that would have been in my day, when I was a child, more understandable perhaps than even today, especially the whole concept of whether or not the clothes would shrink or not. Well, in his time, when there was a tear, it mattered whether or not the cloth that they used to patch the tear was as shrunken as the garment that was being repaired. And he said no one, no one would put uh, this unshrunken cloth with the shrunken cloth because it would get worse. And then he tells another story. Uh, The other story is about putting new wine that's going to expand as it continues the fermenting process into old wineskins. Now, the old wineskins would have expanded before they got brittle and old with the fermentation process. But now that wouldn't be the case. Now, the leather would have lost its elasticity. And when the fermenting took place, if you put that new wine in the old wineskin, it would burst. Now, the interesting thing is the way he pairs these stories. It it emphasizes a point. In one case, the problem is that it would shrink. In the other case, the problem is that it would expand. And so by using one story where it shrinks and another story where it expands, he covered all the bases. And he said... You don't put the new with the old. You see, Jesus was not on a mission to reform things. He wasn't tweaking the rules. Now, the scribes who were Pharisees had over 600 of those puppies that applied to the Ten Commandments. So they took something pretty simple and straightforward, and complicated it to the point uh, that you almost need an attorney to read the uh, the fine print for you. And each one of their laws just grew and grew and grew, as in complexity. Now, again, I think they started from a good point, from a point of human effort. But they started from the place of saying, let's improve everyone's behavior. That's not Jesus' starting point. He's not trying to improve our behavior. He wants us to have a new heart. He He is not training us to heal on command or to roll over with the right signal. He's not trying to get us to behave in a certain way. Instead, he's going to the heart of the matter. He is the culmination of what Jeremiah wrote about a new covenant and a new heart. Why aren't you like us? why aren't you like those trying to reform religion? Well, he was not a reformer. He was an interrupter. He was coming to make a statement and to provide the way forward. The hope was not in us keeping the rules more consistently, the hope was in a change of the heart. I mentioned it a moment ago. Let me read it Jeremiah 31 34. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sins. Jesus is on a path to make this possible. As important as fasting is when it's appropriate. Whether a person fasts or not is fairly irrelevant. If they have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Because he is the answer. See the Pharisees. They didn't understand. That the coming of the new age. Was a gift of God's grace. Not a response to their faithfulness. If we can only be faithful, then God will bless. That's their thinking. And now they deputize themselves, they self, they gave themselves by their own authority. They now dispatch themselves to inflict upon others the rules they've come up with that they believe will invoke God's blessing It's like for them, God's grace was let me climb the ladder as high as I can get to heaven, and then you stoop down from the highest rung I've achieved and bring me the rest of the way up. But for us, we understand that no, we're in the miry pit. Grace is not that God closed the gap between what we could achieve and what he demanded. God's grace is that he condescended, that he took on flesh, that he came down in the mire and the mud and the muck and rescued us out of the miry clay. You see, you don't put new wine in old wineskins and you don't take a new patch and put it on an old cloth Jesus was not concerned with their religion. He was bypassing all of that and going straight to the people who needed him. Like the woman, the sinful woman at whose table he reclined. Like the disciples that he called to follow him. Like the awkward teenager that I described to you earlier in the message. Who he said, I'm going to put my words in your mouth. To you, insert your story. He's on a rescue mission. Today, we pause to celebrate that Christ's grace has saved us as we participate in his mission to save others. And because of that grace, because of what Christ has done, we know that the hope of the world is not A codified set of religious practices. But the hope of the world. Is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Would you bow with me in prayer as the worship team comes. As the prayer team prepares to come. I just wonder there's someone present today in desperate need of the grace of God in your life in just a moment we're going to have the prayer team here come to one of us and let us know we want to pray with you and today you can have the assurance of Christ in you not because you deserve anything not because we're deserving and can give it to you we're all undeserving it's all about his grace it's all about his life it may be that some of you have are burdened right now about a friend or a family member or a co-worker who needs to be the recipient of this rescue mission would you come and allow us the privilege of praying with you what I want to ask is that right now in this quiet moment that you determine that today before you leave this place, whether it's now during the prayer time or catching one of us after the service, that you're going to pray and receive the help that you need. Father, we do ask for the free-flowing of your grace and your mercy among us today as we stand in need, Lord, of your grace. Because like the Pharisees, who were the best at keeping rules, fell short, so do we. And Father, I pray that your grace will be showered all around us. I pray for an outpouring. I pray for the free movement of your spirit in the lives of your children who have gathered today. I ask, Lord, for the power of your Spirit to release the captives. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.